Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. If you enjoy binge-watching the best TV shows and love hearing from the actors and showrunners who make them happen, then subscribe to Vanity Fair. Our Hollywood reporters take you behind the scenes of the year's most anticipated projects, the industry's biggest moves, and the hardest-fought awards races. From The Crown to The Real Housewives, we've got the inside scoop. As a special thank you to our still-watching audience, we're offering 15% off a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair. Visit VanityFair.com today and use promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off a yearly digital subscription to everything you want. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hello and welcome to this very special episode of Still Watching WandaVision. I'm Betty Fair, senior writer Joanna Robinson. And I am Anthony Bresnigan, special correspondent from Los Angeles. A very special episode, Joanna. Look at look at it's us. It's true. It's true. A very special episode of our very own. <laughs> uh, speaking should, of which, I mean, that <laughs> Should we append like one of those, like, uh, you know, the more you know kind of things at the very end? <laughs> like, remember how, like, G.I. Joe... <laughs> yeah. They couldn't just sell you a toy. They had to give you like a little life lesson. Like, don't set your baby sister on fire, for God's sakes. <laughs> do, don't do, do, do. don't um, climb into a stranger's trunk. Get out of there. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, this is a special episode we're doing before the finale. Um, we solicited some, you know, questions, comments, concerns, theories from folks, uh, mostly uh, based on a tweet I wrote, we got so much email. Oh my gosh, you guys. Oh, thank you guys. I love hearing the responses and everything and hearing that yeah. people and their kids have theories. I really enjoy that. That's really We got so many emails our- from kids. It makes mm-hmm. me really happy. So yeah, we got a ton of emails. Obviously, we cannot get to all of them. And I'm really sorry about this. It's really painful that I can't answer every single email. So thank you for sending every single email. They're all great. We've we've collected um, things that we think we can give some sort of uh, informative answer to. Uh, it is no mark of quality of your uh, email. But um yeah, so so we just wanted to do one last hurrah before the finale, before we have the answers, presumably, to some of these questions. And before we get into that, though, I want to really quickly say something, which is that one of the questions we got a bunch uh, from people is, what are we doing next, right? Are we covering Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which is going to start... Um, I think there's like a, a one week gap and then it's going to start on Disney plus, uh, the following, um, Thursday midnight Pacific time. Um, 
the answer is we do not know exactly what we're doing next, neither on Still Watching nor in, in general. Uh, what, <laughs> what a mood for 2021. But um, the, the, the Magic 8 Ball uh, answer it, would be cl- answer cloudy, <laughs> ask again later. <laughs> But, but Anthony and I do want, like, you know, we've seen, we, we saw this when we did The Mandalorian. We're seeing it when we're doing this show. We've seen a big response to this, like, thing that we do, that we've done our whole careers, which is, like, try to talk about nerdy stuff in a way that feels friendly to people who maybe haven't spent uh, all day with their nose, uh, you know, down a book. So, uh, and is fun for people who have spent their uh, day with their nose down a book. So, um, if you want to see, I guess, I guess I'll say this. Uh, you can email us stillwatchingpod at gmail.com, uh, and let us know what you would want. Like, if, if you want more of this kind of stuff from Anthony and me, tell us what you would want us to do. Do you want a podcast? Do you want a video? Like, do you want us to perform it on the street? Like, what do you, what do you want from us? Um, <laughs> Anthony, do you have anything to add to that? No miming. We're not going to do any miming for you. <laughs> We're not going to be, uh, you know, the, the robot on the corner that you put a coin in our head, but we will, <laughs> anything pop culture related, you know, we have to be careful, Joanna. We've got, we've got so many questions here. Like, I think, uh, it's, it's, uh, uh, We've got to choose our next steps wisely because, uh, uh, there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff out there to digest. I think the nice thing about this moment in movie and TV history is, is that we're, you know, the creators are giving you stuff that you really need to, uh, think about. And that's fun that because it, it adds a little extra life beyond just watching it and then moving on is that it's something people care about and think about. And I don't know. I want to. I'm with you in that I want to uh, focus our efforts on uh, on helping them uh, digest those things and understand them. And it's a crazy mixed up world out there, even crazier in the Marvel <laughs> Universe. And if we can be your guide through that, that makes us very happy. Yeah. Uh, and it's fun. We have fun. Yeah. Um, so let me let me actually – we're going to start – I was going to start as small, but actually I've decided to start as big. Go big. Um, and I want to float to you my final, like, big brain theory about something we might see in the finale. All right. I'm ready. This is, I'm braced. It's based, on a, it's based on a question. Um, all right. I'm going to send you right now. We're on Skype right now just to, for you guys to have a peek behind the curtain. I'm going to send you um, a, a, an image uh, that someone has collected of um, Wanda, a preview maybe of a costume we're going to see, right? We saw mm-hmm. this um, We saw this moment in the penultimate episode um, where Wanda sees this figure in the glowing yellow light of the mind vision, right? Uh, the mind stone. And it's the outline of a classic Star- Scarlet Witch figure. And some people have sort of recalibrated the image, uh, adjusted the balance so that you can see a bit better that that is definitely Elizabeth Olsen in some kind of new costume. And, you know, they've put it together with some, you know, the, the character posters that they released had these little like TV monitors, uh, as part of the character posters. So we could see little snippets of costumes and stuff like that there. Uh, and so they put it together with some little snippets it's of a costume we've not seen before on Wanda. Um, uh, uh, you know, there's like a, a belt and, uh, you know, a decolletage, I will say, the the, the sort of chest plate uh, area of it. Uh, and it matches up with what we see in the mind. So this is probably a, a final costume we were going to see on her in the finale, mm-hmm. right? Could be a reasonable guess. 
But here's my theory based on this costume. If you look closely at the at the at the little snippets that they put in those TV monitors, it's like a, a you know a, a classic maroon color that it's a little bit more maroon than something we've seen on on Wanda before. But what's really interesting to me is this: there's this sort of like pebbling texture to it, mm-hmm. um, which matches the and has never been something Wanda's worn before, and it matches the kind of pebbling texture on Vision's. Uh, costume, as does sort of this this uh, breastplate uh, aspect that's right by her collarbone, is similar to what's on Vision's costume. So that that goes with my theory that perhaps in order to like fully come into her powers, which she will need to to stop something or do something, she's going to have to reabsorb the Vision that she made from her own self, from her own powers. Um, in order to be at full juice. And that's going to be obviously a devastating thing for her to do. But in doing so, she will become WandaVision. Hmm. What do you think? I like that theory. I can see it in the costume. Definitely a similarity there. And uh, I also think thematically it, it holds because right. one of the most powerful lines from the whole episode uh, or from the whole season, from the whole series, uh, was Vision saying, what is grief if not love persevering? And like some people have made fun of that line. What's wrong with those people? God, what uh, are you heartless <laughs> ghouls? Just enjoy something for once. But like <laughs> – I missed that discourse entirely until I saw Chris Miller of Lord and Miller tweeting about it. He's like – He's like, I know people are dunking on this. I was like, oh, they are. Oh, I'm on the I'm on the right side of Twitter that I did not see people dunking on this, but um, I believe. It. I mean, it's like funny. making some jokes is fine, but like, it's actually a beautiful line. Although I did like the joke that like, what is grief except some of the letters from Garfield rearranged? <laughs> <And> then, like, <laughs> I mean, the memes are funny. You know, yeah. the memes can be funny and the line can be resonant. But the, I, the dunking me, on me... it, I'm not good for. But so thematically, <laughs> yeah. what I was going to say is, yeah, um, you know. I think anybody who's lost someone that they love knows that uh, that cliche of, well, they live inside you. Like whatever your beliefs are about prior life or an afterlife exactly. or like exactly. what lies beyond or reincarnation or any of that. Like people are free to believe the things they want to believe. But one thing that is I think undeniably true is that part of the resolution of the grieving process is the feeling that you are carrying a part of that person with you. If you yeah. think about them all the time, like I have people that I, um, that I love who've been gone a long time and, and, and they're people I think about every day. And I realize that because I think of them every day in so many different circumstances, they really are with me and they really are a part of who I am on a, on an ongoing basis. So that notion of fusing with the person that you miss, um, I think it's very beautiful and I think it's true. It's like that E.E. E. Cummings poem, you know, I carry your heart. I carry it in my heart. Exactly. And, um, you know. I was thinking of that poem actually when I was coming up with that theory. Um, Look at us. Can, Poetry. Can I, we, we do it for the money. <laughs> can I read? I'm going to read this email from Rachel uh, that, I, that I think 
helps reinforce exactly what you're talking about, that emotional thematic Mm -hmm. resonance of something like that potentially happening. Rachel uh, writes, I recently lost someone close to me when I struggled to make sense of it. My therapist told me no matter what, you will carry them in your heart. This isn't the answer I wanted, of course, but there is truth in it. And last week's episode struck a chord because of it. When creating Westview, Wanda's magic burst out of her chest, not her hands. Mm. It was clear that the yellow strings of vision came directly from her heart. Do her powers ever manifest that way in the comics? If not, I think this revelation shows us that Westview Vision is the version that Wanda remembers. He embodies the part that that she holds dear, sweetly romantic, punny, humor, innocence, decency. This is why he doesn't know about the Avengers or Thanos, because what Wanda treasured were the little moments they shared, like the flashback we saw in last week's episode. At the end, I think Wanda will have to let Vision go while acknowledging he will still be with her, because this version of Vision isn't the one we all knew. He's Wanda's Vision. Rachel. Oh, well, well done, Rachel. You're yeah. making our jobs easy here and a little bit harder because <laughs> now we don't look as good because you came up with a really beautiful way of expressing that. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I think that was, I think that's very true. Don't you? That's, um, the, f- and also I think if you, if you consider that, uh, Agatha Harkness's big question is how did you do this? Right. Agatha is all about book learning like right her whole thing yeah. the reason she fell out with her coven is uh as her mother says like you tried to learn things above your age and station right which we <laughs> found such to be such like magic gatekeeping at the time but um but she's book learning she's studying and researching and i think i compared her to salieri in last week's episode <laughs> and mm. um and that was his thing too is how can i know all the mechanics of the creation of symphony and harmony and music. And yet you just do it. You just do it intuitively. And I think what Agatha is missing is that she's coming at it from a very clinical, she's coming at magic from a very clinical way of understanding it. And, and uh, Wanda just feels it. She's just a natural and Mm -hmm. literally this magic comes from her heart. And I don't think Agatha, not to say Agatha doesn't, really have a heart or clearly she cares about senior scratchy <laughs> but like, <laughs> she just doesn't understand that it's it doesn't come from the fingertips it doesn't come from the muscle memory or the skills or the knowledge or the books you have it's something else something soulful yeah let me let me read a really quickly a companion email um from david about vision's heart um i have i have these two emails labeled as wanda's heart and vision's heart uh david wrote i just wanted to chime in with an observation i had on a rewatch of episode eight it occurs to me that the heart drawn on the calendar from the first episode of the show is probably a callback to the heart that vision drew around his note to wanda with a deed to their new property in westview it was one of the last things wanda saw before creating the hex starting with the 1950s era that the pilot is set in and as the emotional catalyst for her creating uh, for her creation of the illusion the heart was probably still haunting her at that point she may have recontextualized it into a sitcom shenanigan like the kind she would have enjoyed with her parents as a child in Sokovia, namely the bosses coming to dinner rather than let herself remember what it really represented i might be reaching here but it's still a devastating possibility to consider poor wanda so i like yeah. that too Vision's heart and Wanda's heart. Vision's heart, uh, I think we saw one, uh, there was like another heart on a calendar. We saw two hearts on the calendar and then the heart on the deed. So I do, I just think this idea of like, uh, to I don't know, uh, to quote um, 
I think I already used this quote, but to quote Phoebe Waller-Bridge and Fleabag again, this is a love story, right? Like, mm-hmm. ultimately, that's what the, it's, it's a story about grief and a story about love with a bunch of, like, fun Marvel shenanigans and sitcom shenanigans shoved in there. So, um, yeah, just thinking about all of that. Um, also, do you want to go? Yeah, go ahead. Oh, I also think this is key to the success of the Marvel Cinematic Universe overall. There's so much discussion mm-hmm. about, like, Marvel and DC as there has been, uh, you know, in time, into time immemorium, right? <laughs> like that, uh, that the, um, what makes one thing work? What makes another thing work? Who's, who's on top in terms of box office or audience connection? And all that aside, I think it's pretty clear to me that, uh, one of the things that makes Marvel function so well is that the audience feels deep connection for these characters. What's the secret there, right? What's the secret ingredient that Kevin Feige and his team have come up with? And it's different. And maybe this feeds into another one of our uh, questions on the list. It's different than the other Marvel TV shows that have been created. And again, I'm not mm-hmm. attacking their quality, but Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, the Netflix shows like Jessica Jones and Luke Cage and Iron Fist and Daredevil. Like they all, you know have good things about them. Maybe not Iron Fist, but like, <laughs> I think, uh, <laughs> sorry, uh, not my favorite one there, but I think um, the thing about the movies and now WandaVision that works is you care about the characters because they have people in their lives that they care about. Like um, you care about Steve Rogers because he cares so much about Bucky Barnes Right. And that friendship mm-hmm. makes you feel <laughs> m- stronger for both of them. That mm-hmm. when you give characters people they love, uh, the audience loves them in return. And you get a sense of who they are because of what they care about. And um, I think that's yeah. been a real strength of the Marvel universe. And I think that's why one of the main lines that came out of Endgame, I mean, I am Iron Man was one of them, but I love you 3000, I think was even more, right? Yeah. It's about like, a man's love for his kid. Um, so yeah, the, you know, the, the email that, that Anthony was alluding to is this one from Hale in Milwaukee who writes, what was the corporate history of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and its blending with the movies? Was this considered success? And is it similar to the way you're talking about WandaVision impacting future movies? So, um, just a little bit of history. I, we heard from a bunch of people who are sort of new to the Marvel universe. They thought Marvel maybe wasn't for them and WandaVision has kind of hooked them. So we got a bunch of questions about like, where do I go from now? But also people, sort of uh, curious about what came before because I think there are some people who are trying now to go back and watch all the movies which is of course <laughs> exactly what Disney Plus wants you to do um, <laughs> you've uh, fallen into the trap <laughs> but then they're like okay but then do I have to go watch Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. in order to understand what's going on so the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. thing is is one of the trickier ones because it was the it was the Marvel TV show that tried the hardest to connect um, back to the films, you know, you had characters like Nick Fury or Lady Sif from Thor. Obviously, Agent Coulson's from the movies was central to the show. So they try to sort of make it interact. And there is, you know, at least one episode where you have to like watch the episode in order to like understand of Age Ultron. And we should mention that Joss Whedon, who is sort of, you know, uh, helping to shepherd the MCU at the time, uh, the show was created by his brother and his sister-in-law so like it was all very in the family but at the same time sorry hopefully this isn't boring marvel tv at that time was was a different division from marvel studios so kevin feige whose name you might have heard us mention runs marvel studios 
Jeff Loeb was running Marvel TV. And so So Feige's it was, name was it on the credits like as an executive producer or something? Or was it not at all? Possibly. Possibly. But so, but so if it was, that just means like, you know, that's more of a salutation than a real In name sign. only. <laughs> yeah. And 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 what what we've learned more and more, what is true is that there was actually quite a bit of tension between those two divisions in terms of like the MCU, the Marvel movies getting to dictate, you know, for example, let's say the, the Cree, which are characters in Captain Marvel was a storyline that, um, that agents she wanted to do, or they also wanted to do in humans. Like they want to do these various things and the MCU, the Marvel movies were like, no, you can't do that. And you can't do that. Cause we have earmarked that as a potential thing we want to do in the future. So you can't do that. You can't do that. And so while there was some overlap, there was also a great deal of tension. What we are in the, uh, and then Netflix was almost completely separate. Like they would reference the battle of New York, but like almost completely separate. We're in a new era now where corporate roles have shifted. <laughs> Once again, I'm thinking of like the 11 and 12 year olds who listen to this and if they care. Sorry. But like the corporate hey, roles. Hey, kids, have you asked about corporate history. <laughs> <laughs> now sit down. <laughs> the corporate roles have shifted. So Kevin Feige is now in charge of Marvel television as well, uh, or at the very least, the offerings on Disney Plus. So the way in which these shows overlap with the films is going to be much more. In in beautiful harmony because the same person is running uh, these two ships. Does that did I did I do that right, Anthony? I think so. I think you did a great job there. You left off one example though of, that I think mm-hmm. is really illustrates the tension. So they create this show called Agents of Shield, and what do the you know for television? And what does right. the Marvel movie universe do? They destroy Shield, like as the show is premiering. Captain America and the Winter Soldier comes out that like demolishes Shield. So it's like, uh, <laughs> okay, <laughs> I guess we don't have Agents of Shield anymore. And then that put those characters kind of on the run, right? Like they were just sort of like now like sort of a scattershot thing because Shield didn't really exist. But like if you need an example of like the tension between the two divisions it's like hey we just built this sandcastle and the other team came through and said <laughs> sandcastles are banned <laughs> like <laughs> just drove yeah, over it yeah, yeah yeah so so it's it's very different uh, i guess is the answer uh now um and and sort of someone asked us um here we go brooke um Brooke is asking because you know there's a ripple effect, right? We got we got an email from someone asking like if we felt duped by how much it, it how much this show is setting up for the rest of the MCU. Jason wrote in and asked like, you know, um, I'd love to hear your thoughts on your evolving perception of Wandavision from quirky one-off to potentially setting up an entire series of multiverse movies, opening the door to the X Men, springboarding a character that could go, go toe-to-toe with Captain Marvel, shifting MCU narratives away from the military-industrial complex, etc. Do you feel happily misled from the beginning? Um, I'm not mad at all about most of the ways in which they're trying to like lift uh, onto new and, and different projects in the MCU. Um, I. I think the show has enough of its own thing going on. This this is the balance I think was off in Age of Ultron, where they were trying to do too many offshoots and not enough core story. Um, but I I don't think I could make that um, argument about the core story here. 
But we have this email from Brooke who's asking, with the multiverse, like, presuming that that's what we're going to get in the finale, a multiverse, meaning, like, uh, if you've never listened to the Anthony section of the show before, meaning, like, if you think of the movie Into the Spider-Verse, that's a multiverse, right? You've got different characters from different universes, different realities sort of interacting. With the multiverse, does Marvel lose a finality of death or any catastrophic event like a Thanos snap? With time travel, if something can be reversed, is there an impact on the story they can tell? Like, are we are we introducing storytelling concepts that diminish the finality of the impact of storytelling in the future? Do you have any thoughts on that? Hmm. I do. I don't have any special knowledge about where they're going, but I do think um, they are clearly steering the story into this multiverse thing. And you make a great point that like when anything is possible, nothing matters. So how does this hold together? And I think if I were to guess again, no inside information here, but I would guess that part of the story going forward for phase four would be sort of straightening out that timeline. Like in, in terms of like stopping anything from being possible, because what you don't want in your universe <laughs> is like chaos and mm-hmm. you know, they call it chaos magic for a reason. It's not called super <laughs> orderly magic, right? Like it's, right. <laughs> it's, it's like, okay, it's, it's anything is possible. Multiple versions of you, multiple versions of everything up is down. Black is white. The sky is green. The blast grass is blue. Like I'm going to start singing a Dolly Parton song soon, <laughs> but like it's uh it's, I think, very much like, I think that my guess is the Marvel Universe will be like, okay, we've got this branched reality. Now, how do we, how do we smooth it down? How do we brush this tangle of wild hair and make it, uh, not so chaotic? And that, that, I think, it, if you embrace the multiverse, like everything's possible, anything goes. Uh, yes, you run into trouble, but I think if you're like, let's catch all these random threads and try to weave them back together, then you've got a phase four. I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go. There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. But on Wildcard, we have ripped up the typical script. It's a new podcast from NPR where I invite actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to talk about some of life's biggest questions. Listen to Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts, only from NPR. It's it's interesting. One of our I, – I don't think I copied this email over, but one of the emails was like, was there a Thanos snap in every multiverse? Is there an orange, orange blue, uh, you know, green vision somewhere out there in the world? Uh, I was just thinking about how – Someone was talking, I forget, I, I did not check where the interview was, but Robert Downey Jr. recently said something like, never say never, um, about Iron Man coming back, <laughs> which is just sort of like, yeah, if the multiverse is open, you could have a different multiverse Tony Stark anytime Robert Downey Jr. got bored in his retirement. You know what I mean? Like, the options are there. Mm-hmm. So, um, but what does it mean for the finality of death? Um, I, I get, I, I, I sort of famously get a little, uh, fussy if too many deaths are reversed or undone in something. Not like something like the snap, but like, you know, if too many people come back from the dead, I get a little like, all right, what'd you make me cry for in the first place then? <laughs> like, you know, uh, yeah, not you start stick, to not so. trust the future deaths, yeah. right? Where you're yeah, like, yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So 
okay, so so speaking of death, <laughs> let's do a really quick more morbid thought thought question. This one's for you, kids. <laughs> well, okay. Yeah, no, but that's that's a question. This is a this is a show on Disney Plus that's meant to appeal to people of all ages. We've seen death before in the MCU. Um, is this the kind of show that needs to end with a death to feel impactful? We've seen, you know, or or is something like the reabsorption of a vision that she created from herself in the first place enough of a like lasting consequence? Anyway, the question we got from a couple people is, will someone die? And here are the players they put on the board. Vision, Agatha, Director Hayward, Billy and Tommy, uh, which are the kids, um, and then Fietro uh, as a Quicksilver. Uh, so I'll go first really quickly and say vision reabsorbed. I I'm still on that beat. Billy and Tommy. I think we're going to see them aged up to teens. I think we're going to get some teens, uh, in this finale and they're going to, whether or not they're going to vanish in some way, but I don't think they're going to die. Fietro's Quicksilver. I think we're keeping Evan Peters. Um, Agatha, we had a lot, a lot of questions about Agatha continuing, so that's a to be continued. But I should say, even if she dies, Agatha has appeared in so many comics as a ghost um, that that actually could be really fun. Thinking of yeah. like, uh, you ever seen those films like Topper? You know, like a, like sort of like a fun haunting from Catherine Hahn. I think it mm. could be really fun. And Hayward, um, I would certainly be happy to see him go. Uh, what What do you think, Anthony? I think Hayward in my Deadpool is right at the top. Like, <laughs> okay. he's the he's the bad guy that you actually don't like. Like Agatha Agnes is really fun. Like I don't want her to go, even though she's yeah. a bad person and she killed yeah. that little and she killed what was the what was the dog's name again? Uh, Sparky. I killed Sparky too. Like she, in fact, it's made me seek out other Catherine Hahn movies and tv shows that i haven't watched before because i just enjoy her performance so much in this and uh so i don't want her to go uh and 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 nothing against the actor who plays hayward but like you know he's doing a good job of making him seem like a jerk so you know if comeuppance comes to him then so be it at, at you know, if if for no other reason than he denied Monica her promotion when she came back from the dead like he um He's a he's a mean guy, and I think he's also duplicitous, and he lies, and he's misled the audience, so we don't trust him or like him. And if somebody has to go, uh, I could see him going. I do agree with you that I think the whole point of this is uh, coming to terms with grief, so I don't think Vision makes it out of it in the form that we originally know him like i don't think it's right. like oh and he's back right I think, it's about letting go right I think this is about yeah. saying goodbye so yeah i also think that's good because vision as a character and he's one of my son's favorite characters if not mm-hmm. his absolute favorite character in the marvel cinematic universe but i find him as a character like there's not a lot of places for him to go he's a good guy he's learning about what it means to be human and I think this is one of those lessons, right? So I don't know, like, how much more, how much further you can push that character. I know in the comics he does, a, you know, he's been around for ages. But, like, at least in terms of this story arc, he's he's learned to be, he's learned what it means to be human. And part of being human is that you're temporary. So, um, yeah. 
you know, yeah, kids, yeah, boy, yeah. this is a downer. I'm sorry, kids. <laughs> what, a, what a what a data from Star Trek story to learn. Um, yes. Yeah. Well, oh, we you got... know, look, very similar, right? We, we got a yeah. um, we we got an email from Catherine asking sort of like what's next for Vision, um, and then she she came up with the idea of like because Vision can't exist outside the hex, maybe if Wanda gave Vision all of her Mind Stone energy. Like all the mind stone energy that she absorbed, uh, but she still had her like base magic. We we understand that she has like an innate magical power that was in like you know. And then they gave her some weedies, and now she's like super powered, right? Um, but if she gave her mind stone energy away to Vision in some way, um, could that result in a Wanda that is like a, a Wanda and a Vision that are less powerful than the versions we had? Uh, in the MCU, the versions that we had in the movies, I've always said were too overpowered to exist in the movies. So could there be a happy solution at the end of this where we get a version of Vision, maybe like the white Vision, maybe, you know, who doesn't remember Wanda. So she still has to like let go of the Vision she knew or something like that. And a vision of Wanda and a version of Wanda who is less magically powered. They're balanced. It's like it's like uh, – Two holes, you take away one, you split the powers between the two of them, and you've got half-powered individuals who can maybe coexist aside, um, you know, <laughs> like uh, Falcon, mm-hmm. <laughs> who just has a um, nice mechanical set of wings. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. um, what do you think of that thought? Yeah, uh, I, I'm trying to digest it all. Like, I think... I think I think these characters one thing we have to remember is that these characters are a little bit I mentioned temporary in the last thing I said right like in terms of like human beings our, our lives are temporary but I also think that um these characters when they mean a lot to you they also have to uh they have to have like you have to feel like they could they could change or say goodbye at any time you know yeah. And that makes the matter a little bit more like one of the things with the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, for example, that I noticed as the stories went on is that like they would have these sword fights and they were very uh, orchestrated and choreographed and dazzling. They'd be swinging from ropes and on little high beams and narrow bars. But I was like, "Mm, I know what's going to happen here. Like, so it's just it's just sort of we're just sort of passing time. And it's not that I thought Jack Sparrow was going to get, like, stabbed through the heart and die halfway through the first movie. But there's just, like, a sense, at least, of danger that's absent from the way things are staged. And the way things are staged in the Marvel Cinematic Universe is, um, you know, they make three movies generally. Thor is the one exception because I feel like they just got that character right, so they're not ready to – give up that toy yet but they play the way i've described it in some of my past writing is they play rough with their toys they aren't keeping their toys in the box on the shelf preserving them in perpetuity like they're breaking the arms off and scuffing them and burying them in the mud like they're playing with them and making memories with them and so i don't know if i'm fully answering what you were going for but i think you know change and evolution for the characters uh, it involves sometimes ending those characters, and I think mm-hmm. uh, it ends up changing them, and so therefore they are not exactly who we wound up with. You know, in terms of her her powers, I do think she has to be deep. You can't have an all powerful character again. If everything's possible, nothing matters. 
That's an old saying, kind of yeah. a cliche, but um, you have to have, that's one of the problems with Superman, right? Is that he's too powerful. So in movies, you could just have him stop whatever, you know, he's going to win. So you have to find ways to like weaken him to create a little bit of tension. So in, in terms of her, I think she's going to progress. She's going to go forward, but will she be the villain in uh, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Is she, is that appear, that vision, vision, so to speak, that she has, uh, when she's just the peasant girl confronted with the Mind Stone for the first time, uh, is that, uh, you're asking if we're gonna get Dark Phoenix in, yeah, well, basically. sort of. I mean, yeah, she is, she, um, yeah, she, and I, what I guess what I'm going for, I'm rambling a little, sorry, but like, I think, with somebody like WandaVision or with Wanda, <laughs> Scarlet Witch, I think if she were to become so powerful that she could stop any incident from happening, then that character ceases to be useful as in a, as a storytelling device. If But that's a great villain, you know, is that she can stop anything. So how do you stop her? How do you bring her back down to earth yeah. and humanize her a little bit? I don't know. Am, am I getting at all at what you were asking? Or no, I mean, like, I think, yeah. I think, I think everything you're saying is, is fine. And there, there are days when I thought maybe that's where they were going. I just do think that there's been too much time spent on empathy for Wanda to then have her swerve into villainy. Yeah. You know yeah. I, mean? I agree with that. But I think, like, I, th uh, but I you, think it was a possibility at one point, but I, I don't think uh, after, after, especially after last week, this sort of tour through her traumas, um, that that is something that they are going to give us. Um, it's certainly the something best that they've done a lot are the in ones the comics, who are sympathetic, but, yeah. right? I think the what? best villains are, the best villains yeah. are the ones that are a bit sympathetic. And I think we've exhausted the, uh, the villain who's like human beings are, are the disease, right? <laughs> like, uh, we've had that in a bunch of Marvel stories now. And I think, I think finding somebody who maybe is like, I'm pursuing my children through the multiverse. I'm trying to mm. find the kids that I created. Um, and rewatching last week's episode really reminded me, um, that the shows that she watches with her family, you know, there's the Dick Van Dyke show about the walnuts, which I haven't yeah. seen, but apparently that's a dream that yeah. they're having. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, which is what the hex is, right? It's just a dream. It's something she's imagined and created. And then the Brady Bunch episode they're watching, uh, little Cindy Brady. That's the little one's name, right? Cindy? Yep. Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah, Marsha, 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 Jan, and, uh, Cindy. Uh, you know, somebody's saying to Cindy, like, that her doll is just stuffing and sawdust and isn't real. Yeah. And all that. It's a little on the nose. You know, I, I can't believe we didn't talk about it in the last episode. But, like, like these fake kids that she has are real to her. They're projections of something she believes. And I think you're right. They're going to continue to exist. I don't know if they're going to become teenagers or whether, you know, two lost little boys in the void of the multiverse is a more powerful storytelling device. But I think the story of them and whatever happens to them is going to continue on into other stories. Like, I don't think we're going to get complete resolution Absolutely. Uh, and I think that um, something that I was uh, thinking about is, you know, that that scene in the um, Modern Family episode where the yeah. milk container keeps glitching and one of the yeah. glitches is like a milk container with like a missing child on the back of it. And I was like, is that a missing child? I mean, that's just like an 80s sort of illusion thing anyway. But like, 
is that missing child in the milk carton thing? Um, is that just about the boys going missing in this last episode? Right, the boys are are missing. Agnes has them somewhere, or is it about the boys going missing in the future of the of the story? You know what I mean? Yeah. Or is it? Or is it just a milk carton? Um, all right. So let's, a little let's bit of little foreshadowing bit. there. A little bit of uh... could be. I mean, they love they love seeding that stuff in, and we'll get to one of my favorites uh, soon. Uh, this email comes from Niall in San Francisco, um, and Niall writes, "I was wondering what you both think would be in a okay. So let's say Wanda isn't the villain." I hear what you're saying, that there's a way to do it where it's an empathetic journey for her that nonetheless is causing too much chaos in the universe that Doctor Strange has to stop. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I, get, I, I think there is a way they could do that. Um, but let's say it's not. Let's say something happens like she uses all of her power. She solves whatever crisis, you know, she, she, she solves whatever hex-related crisis at the end of the finale. By letting go, by doing whatever. So she's left this extraordinary, powerful person with probably a bunch of regrets for how her power manifested uh, and how how that impacted this town of New Jersey. So maybe someone binds her powers, you know, maybe something, whatever, and she she has to go learn from Doctor Strange. Maybe she's afraid to ever use them again. And so she doesn't want to use her powers at all. That's a similar-ish story to what we saw with, like, the Lagos thing um, in the movies. Um, And so Doctor Strange has to teach her how to use her powers again, but this time, like, be more control of them or whatever. Like, let's say that that something like that happens. Um, Niall writes in, I was wondering what you both think would be an appropriate consequence or punishment, although I hate the word, for Wanda's actions towards the citizens of Westview. I see this as as the main dilemma for the writers, especially with people knowing she is set to appear in Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Love the show. So, what you know, if she's not a villain, what... I mean, losing her kids, question mark? Like, what do you, what do you think, Anthony? So I think this is a great question. It's a little like, yeah, you swallow a little hard when it comes to what punishment does she get? Like, um, But I think the writers have very cleverly informed us that while Wanda has definitely been disruptive to the citizens of Westview, <laughs> she hasn't done anything that's unforgivable, right? Because you remember that line where uh, uh, Pietro says, uh, oh, you know, I kind of wondered where the kids were, right? You just kind of had the kids in a stasis and then they get to go out and play at Halloween, right? Right. Uh, And it's cool how you've kept like couples together and the personalities aren't that much different. So she's not like puppeteering people and having them do things that are unethical or, or evil. She's not really i mean she's hurting them but she's not being cruel right she thinks she's not she, she thinks, thinks she's, she's doing not. this in a way but when we've seen people wake up they've woken up in a like a trauma state yeah you know? they're like Wah! you know this hurts this doesn't feel good but she's not doing anything at least in terms of like crime and punishment where you're like oh she's got to pay for that right i think she owes these guys an apology for ma- forcing them to be part of her, like, shadow play. But um, I think, uh, I don't know that she'll be... So, th- like, th- there are other things, like killing the dog. 
that crosses a line, at least narratively speaking. <laughs> we did get an email about this. So I'll read it really quickly. Uh, Zach says, we're going to talk about, I think we're going to talk about Agatha next. Zach says, I know some people think Agatha will be a grayish character or somewhat redeemed, but me, for me, killing Sparky is Thanos level villainy. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, Zach's no not one. interested in redemption arcs for Agatha. <laughs> There's always a point in the story where like the villain goes so far that it can't be taken back, you know? And I know, like, in my own creative writing, I've tried to create scenarios where, okay, I need something bad to happen here, but it can't be so bad that it can't be covered up or the person has to, like, go to jail for it, right? They have to, they have to redeem themselves or atone. Like, I think Wanda has to atone. They've done a good job of setting that up. But I don't think she's done anything that, like, crosses the line where you're like, that's unforgivable and you've lost the audience. Like, they, they are no longer on your side. And, like, I think anybody who's written fiction, you know, sometimes experiences this. Sometimes you go too far. You're like, oh, I've got to make the good guy seem really bad in this scene. Yes, and now you've made them completely unforgivable. Like, they're, <laughs> we, can't, we can't go any further on this journey with them. And so, um, I, I, like, I feel like that's sort of where we are with Agatha. There's a question about whether she's fully a bad guy. I know we have, uh, I don't know if you want to read it. Um, but the remarks about how sometimes a therapist can seem like a villain yep, because they're pushing you. Next. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this email comes from Sam. And Sam says, keeping in mind that WandaVision is supposed to be a study in grief and trauma, Wanda's and the audience perspective of Agatha matches what some in therapy experience early on in the experience. Therapists can seem like they are the villain questioning your decisions and prodding deep into your life. However, they're really trying to help you and the pain is a necessary step. This fits well with what occurred in episode eight. Wanda, the patient, was walked through a past trauma memories by Agatha, the therapist, who seems like the villain, but is really just trying to save Wanda from a greater force, either herself or Nightmare slash Mephisto. That's from Sam. So I just want to read this quote, this really interesting quote I saw from Jack Schaefer. Jack Schaefer, who's, who's you know, the showrunner on the show, wrote um, the Black Widow film and, and is just like a, a really interesting figure, I think, for the future of Marvel. Um, Jack said this, my kids are really obsessed with good guys and bad guys, Schaefer said of her two preschool age children. Sometimes I explain to them every good guy can be a bad guy and vice versa. It's complicated, but that's that's sort of lost on them. That's one thing that I think can be explored more in the future. I would hope that there are ever increasing moves towards the gray and towards complexity. So what that means to me is that Jack is not interest, as interested in um, – it was literally the devil or like whatever that Jack want, maybe wants to give us a story of these two women who have had their own, you know, because uh, as we mentioned, I think in last week's episode, like Agnes's origin story that we see, that's an awful, awful, awful thing to have gone through with your own mother, killing your own mother because your mother was going to kill or at least bind you or whatever. You know what I mean? Like that's – um and whether we could see these two women who have gone through these awful experiences, like sort of come together and find a place of healing uh, in some way is interesting to me. What do you think? Yeah, I think uh, all of that's very interesting. And it's, uh, it's true. I like the line about how like the person sometimes, a, a, you know, let's say not a villain, but an antagonist in your life can push you to reexamine yourself and, uh, or, uh, or make you feel a little competitive and try to do better. Um, but I think also, um, there, it, you do ultimately come down on a line, right? So 
even in a gray area, there's darker gray and lighter gray. You know? And, uh, I think Agatha, um, and, and this will maybe lead into one of our other questions. Um, you know, somebody said, well, Wanda keeps referring to her as a lifesaver. Well, she all end up being a good guy, uh, a good guy, a good person, because Wanda keeps referring to her as a lifesaver. And I think although she has elements of her personality and past that are sympathetic, she's ultimately chosen to, um, to do the thing, to cross the lines that Wanda wasn't willing to cross. Like she's, m- I think much more aware of the harm she's causing and, and the way she's exploiting and using people, including Wanda. So, um, you know, Wanda's a little bit delusional throughout this. She's playing the part and she's trying to go with the flow and she's lying to herself. She's, she's, uh, uh, puppeteering herself as much as anybody right like Mm -hmm. it's not like she's she's the one breaking character and going oh what do you want me to say here or no you're supposed to do that she's just going with the flow so i think she's trying to dissociate a little from reality or she has dissociated from reality but agnes hasn't (laughs) you know agnes is aware she knows she's kidnapped these kids she knows she's um what she's doing so i do think she falls on the spectrum of being malevolent um i don't know what kind of punishment she might get for that um let's say, let's start saying consequences instead of consequences yeah. yeah what consequences she will face for that yeah um but i think she will face some and she's the one consuming the magic so um can we go to the question about the lifesaver uh, i'm on it you keep reading my mind about where i want to go next all right so this one comes from meta uh, and Meta wrote in and said, my 10-year-old daughter, huge fan of both WandaVision and the podcast, noticed that in several episodes, Wanda says, Agnes, you're a lifesaver. <laughs> she suspects that this means Agnes will, in fact, one way or another, save Wanda's life. She was desperate for me to email this to you. So I went back and I, I rewatched all the episodes just as like prep for this mm-hmm. podcast and for the finale. And I clocked all the time. So episode one, Agnes, you're a lifesaver. Episode five, Agnes, you're a lifesaver. Episode seven, you're a lifesaver. But also episode one, Agnes, you're so naughty. So, uh, you know, naughty and a lifesaver, I think, is sort of summing up um, our our uh, our Agnes assessment here. Uh, so, what do you think? I mean, first of all, brilliant observation from uh, a ten year old listener. Love it. Thank you so much for that email. It made my made my week. Um, what do you think, uh, Anthony? Yeah. So, shout out to Meta's ten year old daughter uh, <laughs> yeah. for noticing this because yeah. I do think that it's deliberate. And I think it's the kind of thing you're meant to catch uh, on a rewatch and go, oh, that's an ironic line, right? Mm-hmm. The same way um, Ag- Agatha, Agnes, said, well, when she's in Agnes form, when she first meets Wanda and she goes, charmed, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you and I have already talked about that. So little lines like that, I think, are meant to create carry a little, uh, some dramatic irony where you're like, oh, once you know what's actually up. You, they play a different way. So kudos to you for catching that. Um, but I would say, I, I mean, maybe, maybe she ends up, you know, doing the right thing, saving her. Like I could see Agnes wanting to stepping in the way and taking the hit. Maybe it, it, let's say Hayward finally gets one of his missiles in a position mm-hmm. where he could destroy Wanda. Mm-hmm. I could see Agnes saying, no, this powerful witch needs to live. 
and sacrificing herself, right? Because her commitment to magic is so absolute that she would want to protect this rare bird, you know? I and in that way, his, yeah. In that way, you get consequences for her actions, but also uh, she does something heroic. So maybe, you know, maybe you're right. That could happen. But I was also thinking that line could be read another way. Like some of these lines, I think, are special because you could turn them. They're like a little cube, right? You could look at Mm -hmm. it in three different dimensions and different angles. Agnes is literally a lifesaver, right? She's nourishing herself off of the magic and life force of the people around her. So she's like a lifesaver. Like she's like a life hoarder. She's collecting it. And so maybe that's what it means. But uh, I would not be surprised if Meta's daughter turns out to be right, that at a critical moment, villainous Agnes, who poisoned poor Sparky, redeems herself a little bit by stepping in and I mean, uh, protecting our, our girl Wanda. Sparky feels like, He's you know, not real. He's just he's he's <laughs> stardust. It's fine. Um, okay. Um, the uh, I wanted to yeah I, that that makes me want to branch off into another quick question, which is like which you reminded me of this idea of what is the Scarlet Witch. So I, I just want to go over this because actually our our um, our editor Katie Rich was like messaging me about this. Katie Katie's my favorite person to like ask me questions about these nerdy shows because she truly does not have any background on it. So she helps me know what like someone might be thinking. And she was like, why is it special? Like she hadn't clocked that the phrase Scarlet Witch had never been used in the films. And she sort of missed that exchange between Hayward and Wu earlier in the season. When they were going like, so does she have any other nicknames? Nope, not a one, not a single one. We don't call her some sort of colored sorcerer thing. Nope, nope, never called her that in the movies. If you go back and check, we haven't. Um, and, uh, so Scarlet Witch and I think, and also Quicksilver, um, both of those names were never used in the films. I have to wonder if maybe that has to do with the Fox ownership of the characters because even characters like Black Widow and Hawkeye, they found ways to use those code names. In the film. So for mo- for the most part, the- those character code names have been used in the films, but not for Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver. So, so that gives them an opportunity, right? To be like, okay, well, we can make the revelation of the, the, the phrase Scarlet Witch mean something else. So I was thinking about that old commercial, uh, old commercial, the commercial from season, from episode three, I think it is, which is Hydra Soak, which is, um, unlock the goddess within. And, and that, um, that phrasing had always bothered me because I'm like, why did they use the word goddess? Yeah. Like I understand why in commercial speak, but they're being so careful with their language here. So why did they use the word goddess? So is the Scarlet Witch, I mean, what seems to me to be clear in this revelation here at the end, when Agnes says you're the Scarlet Witch, it means like you're some sort of, I don't know, creature foretold or elemental thing, you know, some sort of, thing prophecy. not like yeah yeah prophecy thing you're not like oh you're wanda maximoff <laughs> like you're you're uh you know like the sorcerer supreme the way that that mantle is handed down in dr strange like that's sort of you know what i was thinking of yeah either handed down or or prophecy you're sort the of chosen thing. one right and yeah and is is that thing a goddess rather than a a witch 
Do you know what I mean? There's also another line um, where I think Agnes says to Dottie, I mean, we're always wondering what Dottie is doing here, Emma Caulfield's character. Mm-hmm. There's a line where she goes, you know, Dottie, your roses are divine. Like, like divi- the use of divine there makes me wonder, like, is, is, uh, sorry, I just really liked it. I love your line readings. Agnes, you're a life, you do such a good job, Joanna, with your, with your Agatha line readings. <laughs> but like, but like, um, the use of divine there, I mean, divination, but also like, is there, you know, is, are there goddesses here at play? Is that is that what we're going to be dealing with? And is Agnes going to be in service of a of a goddess in some way? I don't know. Just something I'm thinking about. Maybe. I mean, one man's goddess is another man's witch, and I use man specifically since mm. that's kind of the. <laughs> I do think that's a role that Hayward is serving in all of this. Like, right? I think it is. I think it is interesting that we have these like two powerful women, but that they're like the white guy is the like obnoxious straight white this guy who's <laughs> like corporate toolbar um yeah so what is the scarlet witch is something that i'm really interested in learn in 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 understanding what their interpretation in this world what that means you know what i mean so yeah i mean what is the difference uh, yeah. between a goddess power yeah. or a god's power and a yeah. and magic right a magic wielder it's sort of similar except you worship one and you fear the other or hate the other so um yeah i i, I like your i like your what you've picked up there um all right let's see so joe says um this is this is to go back to i mean basically we got a lot of requests from basically people don't want Catherine hahn to leave the mcu yeah so we got a lot of requests from like is agatha going to be a long-term villain that came from paul cat suggested that she should be like sort of a loki style villain which is like a villain we just like love to see them cause mischief. Someone else suggested Loki as an analog for Agatha, also in this idea of like, Loki is ultimately serving Thanos, right? So even if there is a bigger bad, like even if there is a Mephisto or a Nightmare or something like that, it doesn't necessarily mean that that character would take away from Agnes's power in this story or in the universe overall. Um, like, let's say she is serving a Nightmare or a Mephisto or something like that. Um, maybe knowing that Wanda is a Scarlet Witch will change where her allegiance lies. And that could, that could be the lifesaver sort of moment for her. Um, but yeah, but people just want Catherine Hahn to stay around. I'm, I'm once again, I'm going to float that ghost theory. I like, I kind of like her. I would love her to just like pop up as she does in the comics and just sort of like bedevil, uh, Wanda in certain ways, like help her, but also make fun of her, sort of like she does in, in the last week's episode. Um, I think that could be really fun. Yeah. They had a very, well, speaking of ghosts, like very ghost of Christmas past thing going on there, right? Yeah. When they were exploring the different, uh, traumas in her life and and she was like it's time to go right like, it's, like move along scrooge uh uh i i don't want her to go she owns this part like mm. i could not i i, I mean like i guess I, obviously you could cast somebody else in this role but there's just there's there's something ironic about um katherine hahn in general like she's very good at at satirizing a a type of person, you know, like the sassy sidekick kind of role, uh, which I think she's been cast in a lot throughout her career. Um, and in this sort of is the culmination of that, where she's the sassy sidekick, the, the quirky neighbor, but she's secretly like the omnipotent <laughs> warrior goddess. Who's now trying to understand this. I loved her in her big purple flowing, um, 
Disney's Descendants gown, like when she's <laughs> hovering in yeah. the air, and like her hair is all curled, like, and she's uh, she's got like the cool eyeliner on, and she's like, "You're the Scarlet Witch," and like, I just loved seeing her at full power, and um, I want, yeah, I'd like her to stick around, and I think the Loki comparison is one I hadn't thought of, but yes, exactly, he was so fun in that part, Tom Hiddleston, that you just kind of got to keep him around. All right. Unfortunately, I agree. I, and I, and I would, I would love that for her. Okay. So we unfortunately have to wrap up and we have so many great emails that we didn't get to. We had a lot of questions about Hayward and sword and white vision, um, that hopefully we can talk about in our finale episode. Um, Really quick, want to answer Jamie's question. Uh, Jamie wrote in asking, like, there's this thing that's says Stark Industries on the side that's powering Wanda and it's covered in red glowy stuff. What is that? That's powering the, White Vision, right? White that's Vision, sorry. Yeah. yeah, that's that's the drone uh, that Wanda threw back at them that was sort of like covered in her, smeared in her magic. So, you know, it's a magic soaked <laughs> drone. Um, I do think it's worth noting that Hayward at one point is tracking uh, the decay signature of Vibranium when he's tracking um of Wanda's vision mm-hmm. and uh that means that Wanda made vibranium which is wild like yeah send her to Wakanda she can she can do it all um and th- so here's my last quick question for you uh cuz uh, full disclosure we we have to go into a meeting um <laughs> how much can we expect from the finale so Tanner writes in I know people are expecting a lot from this finale final episode but is there any way it ends with the introduction of speed Wiccan, a new vision, a new Quicksilver, Agatha to possibly mentor Wanda, and a possible reveal of Mephisto. Obviously, we're getting Spectron slash Photon with Monica Rambeau, but reading online this week, people are expecting multiple characters from this to exist long-term in the MCU. Do you think that is realistic in any way, Tanner? What do you think, Anthony? Um, I think some of that, obviously, is going to happen. I think much more likely to get, like, Spectrum, uh, Photon... Monica Rambeau, superpower, origin story. I mean, we've already gotten the origin story, but we'll see her like at full power. Um, here's my thing about the kids, is that they haven't had a life. Like, how much time has actually passed over the course of this show? Right. Like, a week? A couple of weeks? Like, five episodes of a sitcom show? Like, so they aren't real. I mean, they're real to her, and I think they are – the point of this is to have them become real. But they're not like – they're like Vision in the sense that they haven't grown up, right? They haven't lived. And so I don't think we're going to get those full-fledged characters uh, in the final episode of WandaVision. I think that's a journey that's going to come later. That's my guess. That's my feeling about it anyway. Um, but as for the other things, yes. Uh, you know, I think we're going to see a showdown, obviously, with the White Vision. We're going to – see uh, Monica Rambeau power up. We'll get some resolution with Agatha Agnes, who I think, I still think she's trying to, I think she's interested in this as a way of manifesting someone else. I love the idea of like, she needs the power to unlock the book. Mm -hmm. And then in unlocking the book, it will release, unleash something. Yeah. Whether she intends it to or not. And that could be 
Al Pacino. No, um, it could be, it could be whatever it is, right? Um, I like the, I love the, I love the theory that Dr. Stephen Strange is in the rabbit. It's one of my favorite theories that I've heard. Um, Senior Scratchy and Stephen Strange have the same initials as many people have pointed out. Um, so, uh, there's that. Uh, I'm just spitballing some last minute, uh, theories. Uh, as for the big cameo, is Paul Bettany just talking about himself? Uh, part of me thinks, yes, that, that might be what we get, but, Part of me is also warming to the uh, increasing buzz around this idea that we're going we are going to get Patrick Stewart as Professor X uh, in mm. in the end here to explain something about mutants or multiverses or something. Um, can't do a Dark Phoenix storyline without Professor X. So um, anyway, um, Patrick Stewart said he was uh, he met with Kevin, but that he wasn't going to do any Marvel stuff. But I don't know. I don't know. I'm just never feeling, say feeling never as Robert in Danny my Jr. fingers. <laughs> Um, and, and as for the boys, uh, one, another repeated line that I noticed along with the lifesaver thing, um, that happened coming up a couple times was about how you can't control kids. Mm. Um, Agnes herself says it a couple times, like kids, you can't control them, like whatever. Um, and Wanda's magic doesn't work on the kids. Um, like she can't get them to stop crying and stuff like that. Um, Wanda's magic doesn't seem to work on the things she's created from her chaos magic. Like the, if we think the stork is something she created, uh, you know, her magic only goes so far on vision. Her magic doesn't work on the kids. Um, so maybe that, that inability to control the kids will be important. Like maybe then that means also Agnes slash Agatha's magic doesn't work on them. Like in terms of those ropes that are around their necks right now. I don't know. We'll see. Um, but uh, I would suggest people temper your expectations about like deep mythological revelations. Sure. And, because I think this final episode is going to be um, a conflict. It's going to be the battle between Wanda and uh, sword. And that is going to encompass Agnes and photon spectrum and vision versus vision, maybe. Um, and then I think, there's going to be an open-ended conclusion that leads us toward other things. You know, there'll yeah. be some resolution with Vision and Wanda and her grief. And then I think it's going to be, oh, okay, we've opened this book and now unleashed, you know, the multiverse or this monster. And that's going to be dealt with later. I agree. I agree. Mephisto, Al Pacino's Mephisto will return in Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. No. Um, I, uh, I, I, I do think, and I do think there will be plenty of space for emotional stuff, though I do think this second, this penultimate episode, since it was all about sort of emotion and trauma and grief, I do think the final will be, finale will be a little bit more action heavy. Like they did a lot of the emotional groundwork here so that they could have room for some classic Marvel, uh, you know, <laughs> act yeah. three fight stuff, which is usually my least favorite part of a Marvel movie, exactly. but we'll see. One of the um, other questions, I know we have to wrap up, but one of the other questions we had was like, is, um, is, uh, Hayward, like, is he in maybe an alien Cree or does he have some sort of crazy deep background? Um, and why is he trying to kill Wanda? That doesn't make, since our question, uh, I forget who asked it uh, in our list there, but uh, why would he want to kill Wanda? That doesn't make sense. And I think he's clearly setting her up as the uh, 
as his alibi, like, oh, mm-hmm. that she created Vision, that she made Vision. Mm-hmm. He lied about her taking the body. He's been lying about her a lot. And so how do you cover up your lie but to destroy the person you're lying about? She can't really defend herself if she's annihilated. So that's why I think he wants to get rid of her. Yeah, I do think part answer. part of that, that came from Charlie. And I think do think part of Charlie's point was like, it was a really silly lie to try to sell to Monica when like so many people at S.W.O.R.D., saw how that exchange with Wanda actually went. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so like that was a re- bold of you, Hayward, to try to sell that lie, but like, you know, that's he's got ambition and he's got um a lot of fear after the snap. So that's a that's a dangerous combination. Um all right, Anthony Bresdigan, I will talk to you again for the finale, but also a reminder to folks, you can email us stillwatchingpod at gmail.com. Rich will be back for the finale discussion, but you can email us questions about the finale. You can also email us what it is you would like Anthony and me. Tell us what to do with our lives. Tell us where to direct <laughs> our we'll chaos magic. <laughs> um, all right. Anything else you want to say, Anthony, until then? I hope everybody enjoys the final episode. It's been yeah. a lot of fun talking about it with you each week. And uh, I'm glad we got to share this because we'd be doing it on the phone otherwise. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Yeah, Sometimes just, Joanna just and I are talking. Even if your theory doesn't pan out, you can still have a fun time. And that's that's the that's the fun of still watching and WandaVision. So, yeah. Yeah. All right, thanks for all the questions, everybody. Bye. Bye to Bye. everyone, but especially Meta's kid. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Come to the New Yorker Radio Hour for conversations that go deeper with people you really want to hear from, whether it's Bruce Springsteen or Questlove or Olivia Rodrigo, Liz Cheney, or the godfather of artificial intelligence, Jeffrey Hinton, or some of my extraordinarily well-informed colleagues at The New Yorker. So join us every week on The New Yorker Radio Hour, wherever you listen to podcasts.